Okay, good morning. Ooh, what happened here? Welcome back to Driving Theology. My name is Mike, and you are joining me on my way to work, and I'm still getting squared away here, so give me one minute. A few things i got to be taken care of. All right. <clears throat> Seatbelt on sunglasses on it is a beautiful day man we had a uh, beautiful eclipse yesterday um, if you didn't catch it it was a rare uh, lunar eclipse I believe it's called a lunar eclipse and it was full uh, here in Japan I suppose it could have been partial in other places I don't know exactly how it was where you were uh, but yeah here in Japan it was a full lunar eclipse and the, well, the process was something that I'd never witnessed before. I, I was v really kind of impressed by how it developed as it went. You know, we knew what time it was going to happen, and, and our weather happened to be perfect for it. And I was coming home from class in the evening. I guess it was around between 6 and 6.15. And I looked up at the moon, and it had begun to get dark on the bottom left part of the moon. I almost said corner, but of course a circle has no corners. But the bottom left uh, part of the moon began to get dark. And the darkness from there crept up over the entire moon. But at some point, uh, I looked at it again maybe around 6.30 or 6.45 once I got home and I noticed that it was just becoming more and more dark, right? It was getting darker and darker uh, as the Earth uh, was positioned between the moon and the sun, right? Blocking the light of the sun. And it got darker and darker, but I didn't see any red, and I was expecting the moon to get red at some point. But at one point... And why, I don't know. Uh, the entire moon turned blood red. And that was also a process. I just didn't necessarily sit there and see it all. It was pretty chilly outside. So I didn't watch the entire process. So I kept going back out and checking. And at one point, yeah, the, the moon was just this deep kind of chill, kind of red. And it was just amazing to see. And and, it, and then it, it you know developed as well. So after it got this reddish color, then it started getting light again. Uh, I thought, I'll have to check my pictures. I thought from the top right, it began getting light colored as, you know, as it continued to progress in its position. On the other side of the earth from the sun. So, anyway, it was just, well, I guess the earth and the moon were both moving, so, you know, there's a lot more going on there than I know about. But anyway, it was just a, an amazing thing, and it was clear. And one sad thing is my vision is just not what it once was. I couldn't quite see it as clearly, perhaps, as other people were able to see it. Um, younger people, maybe, uh, or people just with better vision. But it was 
it was kind of amazing, yeah. A lunar eclipse. And this was a rare one, once in every 500 years or something, in that <coughs> right next to the moon and below it, there was another planet that was affected by the same phenomenon, which is Uranus. And Uranus was also uh, being affected by the shadow of the Earth uh, on its own surface. But it's so small, without binoculars, you wouldn't really be able to see it. Uh, but apparently with binoculars you could see it, and I suppose with a telescope you could see it really well. So if you didn't get a chance to witness this last night, if the weather was bad where you were, I would look up pictures online. It was a pretty neat phenomenon. Um, the eclipse is, uh, you know, something that doesn't happen very often, and even if it happens, there's no guarantee you'll be able to see it with, the, with, with your own eyes, uh, depending on weather and, and time of day and all those kinds of things. But anyway, it was a really neat, you know, thing that was happening there. Uh, and you think about how ancient people must have looked up at that thing and said, you know, wow, you know, the, the earth's about to end, the world is going to end soon, this is, this is weird, this is, this is not right, this is not how it's supposed to be kind of stuff, you know, uh, this is not how it always is. Um, you could see how people could interpret those things in different ways, and, uh, you know, I think it's understandable, uh, given the uh, state of, uh, you know, astronomy, for example, <clears throat> and things like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, what's going on with you guys? What's what's happening in your neck of the woods? Well, last week I was off uh, on Wednesday. We actually took a little trip with some friends, uh, and uh, we we went down to a place called called Karuizawa and uh, spent a couple days um, staying at a nice hot spring hotel and. Uh, going out and cycling around, seeing the uh, changing leaves and, and drinking some good coffee and, and adult beverages. And it was really nice. It was nice to get away for a couple days, especially after the busy autumn we've had so far, but that's going to continue this week. We have a real busy week this week too, but not as busy as it's been. So anyway, it was nice. I hope you're able to get out and see changing leaves where you are. Uh, yeah, so anyway, sorry, some people were irrationally stopped in front of the green light. <clears throat> Didn't honk my horn. I feel so accomplished. So patient. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're able to get out. Of, you know, I, don't, I know a lot of uh, people don't live where there, where there are four seasons and and even so, you know, the changing of leaves in different places can happen in the blink of an eye, again, depending on weather and, you know, wind and rain and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you may have beautiful leaves one day, but if the if you get a heavy rain the next day, they can all fall to the ground and you kind of miss your window. This year, here in Japan, so far, we're kind of getting an extended dry period in the autumn. So there's just a lot of colors, beautiful colors going on right now, and it's really really nice, really pretty. 
When you think of the word missionary, what do you think of? This morning, uh, actually before I got out of bed, I checked my phone and I found uh, an article with reference to a previous article. And so I read both of those articles. Uh, and basically it was about the, the word missionary and whether or not uh, we should continue that word into the future of Christian, you know, uh, evangelism. Now, this is from a a mission missions resources group that I'm familiar with. I've followed them for a long time, and I've met some of the guys uh, who are um, from this group. Uh, <clears throat> that is associated with Churches of Christ, the group that I grew up um, uh, in, the group that I grew up in, I guess the best way to say that. And so it's fairly conservative side, but these guys aren't conservative uh, as far as that goes. Um, anyway, it was a really great worded article from a guy who, who I follow personally as well, who's very uh, active in, uh, um, I'd say, challenging uh, the status quo, at least in that group, uh, about theological things and ecclesiastical things and missional things. And uh, anyway, this article, it basically is going to, in, a, in three parts, and the only two parts are done, uh, it, it's, it wanted to explore the history and the connotation of the word missionary and whether or not it should be, uh, maybe we should think about changing the word into the future to something else. Uh, now where, where the word mission comes from, I don't know. I'm going to assume, uh, that, uh, it is Latin because we have the word missio dei which is tossed around a lot lately, the, the, the mission of God. Um, missio, I wonder what the, what the context of that word is. I don't think it's important because it has a, you know, it has a meaning in, in our context today. Like we, um, we understand it to be a certain thing. And, and I think everybody's going to have a slightly different idea of what missionary is. Uh, or what it means to them, but basically, a missionary is a person who decides to leave their own country uh, in order to go to another country to uh, take the gospel of Jesus to them, right? To teach them about Jesus. Uh, a lot of people go as far as you know to say to convert them to Christianity uh, or something like this. And down through the ages, I think it's been expressed in many different ways. Uh, the problem, the problem with with missionaries, especially in the last five to six hundred years, and I'm sure it's longer than that. Uh, probably since the time of Constantine, at the very least. The problem with missionaries is that they have been a wing of a church that has been married to um, empire, 
whether it was the Roman Empire or, you know, the Holy Roman Empire or the British Empire, the Spanish Empire, French, what, whatever have you, all the way to American, right, the American Empire, which is active now, uh, missionaries have been uh, a, perhaps a radical, but still associated with empire, right? So in, uh, in Rome, Constantine uh, legalized Christianity in, during his reign. His mother was a Christian. Uh, he legalized Christianity and basically uh, laid the foundation for Christianity to become the national religion of the Roman Empire. Now, the Romans were pagans. They were they worshipped many gods. You know, they they were polytheistic, much like the Greeks. Um, and actually, a lot of their gods they got from the Greeks. Probably when the Greek Empire ruled parts of uh, Italy in that area, that's probably what happened. I'll look into that. But anyway, they shared a lot of uh, the same gods, though they gave them slightly different names. Um, and so when Constantine nationalized the Christian religion, he also got very involved in its organization. Uh, how how the Christian religion uh, would, would operate. For example, uh, I believe he... Uh, took basilicas that were, uh, you know, basilicas or temples that were dedicated to the gods of Rome and then had, you know, Christians move in there and rededicate them to, uh, to the God of Jesus, right? It's a big truck, big old truck. Uh, <clears throat> now that might, you know, that might seem harmless at first, and, and perhaps it was for a while. You know, perhaps there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of joy when this happened for Christians who had been persecuted for years. You know, uh, even even to death. Right? Uh, perhaps there was a lot of joy when this happened, and, and rightly so. But the side effect of this is that government and specifically the, the spirit of empire uh, began working hand in hand with the church of God, right? The church of Jesus. And what that means is that your politics and your religion became in intertwined with one another, right? They became intertwined, and and you know, one though it might influence the other for good, the other would corrupt the good one for bad, right? Now I, I know good and bad is kind of a simplistic way of looking at that, but I think you get my point. Um, a lot of the political hierarchies that necessarily exist in a system run by men with checks and balances uh, perhaps had no place being in a system that supposedly is headed by Christ, right? And so these hierarchical systems, this, this system of organization uh, was slowly but surely applied to the church to the point where I think 
the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was was quenched, right, or put out, squelched is another word to put it, right, squeezed, um, extinguished, or close to extinguished. I don't think it was extinguished completely, but we began to lean on the organizations of men as opposed to the free spirit of God, and and I think that's again this is a simple way of looking at it, but I think that's what happened. So. If missionaries are coming out of that system already, right, from the get-go, uh, already they're kind of um, representing two entities at the same time. Not only are they coming to represent Christ, but they're coming to represent their country, right? And this is where we get nationalistic religion, and I think this happened a lot with Spain in the beginning. It's the first instance I can think of where specifically, you know, specific atrocities were done in the name of God and country, right? And I'm pretty sure we can find some, some Latin slogans that uh, that talk about that, you know, for God and country uh, that were used at, at that time. <clears throat> but somehow we we didn't feel bad about working for both, right? We were trying to, uh, sure, I think, I think a lot of missionaries in that system were in their, in their heart, you know, trying to do good for Christ, to bring the truth to people, to set people free from the, from the various oppressive, for, oppressive forces that they live under. Um, whether they be physical, spiritual, or mental, or whatever. But the problem is, we we had been corrupted by this other man-made system that uh, had married itself to our, you know, pure, if you will, religion. And that's what's corrupted religion, and that's what's corrupted the word missionary, right? Missionary from the beginning has been a term that was used for agents of both church and state. Now they may have un- unwittingly be being, you know, uh, unwittingly been involved in this. Uh, you know the 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 crown, right? The kings and queens of the time uh, supported these uh, missionary journeys, but they also expected some kind of return in their favor, right? They were making investments uh, and presumably to make themselves more uh, wealthy, powerful, or famous, right? Take your pick. It's kind of the trifecta. <clears throat> the axis of evil, if you will. Um, so so missionaries from the beginning were taking money from the state, from the crown. Uh, whether it was filtered through the church or not, doesn't matter. Uh, and the crown expected something from their, from their donations. And so, like it or not, you are beholden to the people who pay the bills. Oh, sorry. Uh, coffee check. I'm drinking an Americano I made this morning from 
believe these are Brazil beans, so I made espresso and then just added hot water because I was in a hurry. Didn't want to take time to froth milk. Oh, that's good. And by the way, if you are a person like me who's always struggling to find ways to hold your coffee cup in a car, I found the perfect solution. I have a memory foam uh, travel pillow that, you know, it's kind of shaped like a if I'm being honest, it's kind of shaped like a toilet seat. But basically, it's a neck pillow, right? Something that goes around your neck and stabilizes your head when you you can't really recline, uh, you know, when you're traveling, like on a plane or a bus or something. So it's one of those pillows. Uh, and it's a really firm. It's memory foam or something like memory foam. But it's a really firm one. And man, that thing just holds a coffee cup like a champ. Does not let it go. Now, the, the open side of the horseshoe of course needs to be fairly closed otherwise the coffee cup could just shoot out right but the way this one is man I haven't had a problem with these at all it even if it started to spill I have the handle toward that thing and that that's a little extra lever now it could all slip off the seat if you stop quick enough but so far man I've had great results with this I'm really happy it's kind of a neat now it's the biggest uh, <laughs> coffee cup holder <laughs> that I've ever used. It takes up a lot of space, but probably works better than anything I've ever used before so far. The trick is to keep your coffee off the. Uh, I use a I use a cover covered uh, coffee cup. Obviously, you don't want coffee spilling all over your pillow. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So back to exploring the word missionary. Um, I agree, in a sense, that we should think about changing the word missionary. I, I, I think it does, because of the atrocities done by uh, governments in the name of religion over hundreds of years to countries such as probably the entire continent of Africa, uh, South America, uh, even North America, all all of it, right? Um, done to the to the uh, the First Nations peoples, right? Uh, all through North and South and Central America, the islands, especially. Uh, I think when they hear missionary, they hear, uh oh, here they come, you know, here they come again. What are they going to do to us this time? Whether it's, you know, bring their armies with them or, or you know, the, the flu or smallpox uh, or the Inquisition. Oh, my goodness. Are they going to, you know, torture us if we decide that, that we don't want their form of Jesus worship, you know? And missionaries were the, were the, the front line of all that crap, right? That's how, that's how they got in. That's how they lured these people into subjugation. I know that's a really cynical way to look at it, and I know that's not how all missionaries have have operated. But you got to realize, uh, and, and Dan Bouchel, the guy who wrote this article, he brings this up: is that we may have forgotten what we did, but, but they haven't, right? These people uh, in in Asia, Africa, North and South, Central America, they haven't forgotten what what happened when missionaries landed. They haven't forgotten at all. Uh, even if it hasn't been done in a hundred years. 
they remember. They remember how uh, that was a hugely mi- mixed bag, you know, for them to accept Jesus. Uh, when they when they decided to accept Jesus, they also accept a new uh, king, right, or queen, or parliament, or president, or what have you, right? It was a whole mixed bag of stuff that they didn't necessarily want, and I think. You know, I live in Japan, and I've been involved in missions in Japan for almost as long as I've been here. I think I think Japan probably uh, saw that early on and dismissed it out of hand, and they they nipped it in the bud quick. They saw it happening, uh, and they killed a bunch of Christians, and they 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 did what they could. Uh, because they saw what was happening in other parts of the world. And I don't know why or how Japan was so smart about that, but I think they were. Uh, and they, they just did not you know, accept that at all. And so today, you have a super low percentage of Christians in Japan. Super low. For a country that is is the most westernized country in Asia, except for maybe South Korea, maybe the Philippines. Philippines are kind of, have a lot of Western blood in them, so, you know, whatever. Anyway, be that as it may, uh, very low percentage of Christianity. In fact, they found a way to accept the, the, you know, the way of government, right? The Western's way of government without accepting their religion. And, man, I don't know what it is in the history of Japan, but they saw that corruption in our religion quick. And they took measures to make sure that Christianity would not take hold here. I'm not sure I ever had that epiphany before. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that's what uh, the movie Silence alludes to, right? There are a lot of um, a lot of things that are talked about in that movie, uh, and that would make sense. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not sure I ever thought about that, like the fact that missionaries are still not trusted today because systemically they put that suspicion of missionaries into their culture somehow from a very early time. I mean, we're talking about the late 1500s. Missionaries... This this is basically the beginning of the time period of when missionaries started going so wrong, I think. It's not that missionaries were wrong. I don't think they understood what was going on. I think... I think there are other powers and you know that that were more um, volatile is not the right word but evil let's say malevolent maybe uh, who used missionaries I think a lot of missionaries were used by malevolent powers whether whether they be human or spiritual or whatever I don't think missionaries did it 
wittingly. Some did. I'm sure some did. Some continue to. Uh, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's something there, I think. They, they saw it. They were told by somebody. They were informed, the right people. And they had an you know, authoritarian government in place to be able to do something like that without having to take a vote and worry about how people felt. Uh, and, wow. And they reacted so brutally against Christians. You know, some... The, the Japanese numbers are much lower, but the Christian numbers of the number of Christians killed is in the hundreds of thousands of Christians who were forced to recant and who refused to and who were executed and tortured because of it. Uh, it was a real thing and it, it, it left a mark on this country that continues to this day. And I think and I think what they're what they were telling us from the beginning and we didn't get it was we don't want your nat nationalized religion. Of course they were talking to the Portuguese at the time. <coughs> Spanish <coughs> perhaps the Dutch although the Dutch were tolerated much more than the Portuguese you know but they were saying from a very early time no you're, you're, you say you're bringing religion but you're bringing more than that and we don't want any of the other stuff you know and so we're going to reject it and we're going to you know we're going to reject it hard um <laughs> Kind of amazing, actually, if you think about it. It does answer, does answer a lot of questions. I need to sit on that for a while. You know, the problem is I don't know the answer, <clears throat> and that's what this article is is going to pursue, right? So, it's not just about changing the name because it has such uh, a mixed bag uh, of meanings to it, right? It means so many different things to so many different people. I think the name change should be prompting us to face our past. Face the past of the West's methods of mission on the rest of the world. Uh, and I don't know how we face that past. I don't know how we undo what we've done. How do you undo colonization, right? It's not easily done. Uh, and there is a lot of uh, collateral damage, a whole lot of collateral damage. But at least we can stand up and admit it and be sorry for it. I think it's a fact. I think the fact is the church and missionaries were used. They were used. Um, they became the, again, like the front, the front line of empire, the front line of oppression. The church became the front line of oppression. The exploratory um, 
scouts, if you will. We went in first, probably with good intentions, but then they reported to the wrong people. But they had to report to those people because those people were paying the bills. My goodness. My goodness. How do we how do we start to own up to that past? I don't think changing the name of missionary is enough. I don't I don't think changing what we call a missionary is enough. I, I actually, and I, I, I had this, I may have said this before in a podcast, I know I've had this conversation with somebody. I, I actually think evangelism, uh, we should stop doing that. And what we should be doing is, is nothing but uh, aid, nothing but help, right? Sending good people into the world to do things that help other people. Whether it's just you know taking money, food, clothing, education, whatever it is, um, and and I mean I mean when I say education, I don't mean religious education. I mean education that is specifically needed in a specific context that will help bring relief to the people of that land, right? Uh, I think we should be taking food and medicine. That kind of help. I think that's what we should be doing. And if anything else ever happens, um, fine, you know, great. But our our mission should not be baptisms, right? Um, I think that's probably the place we went wrong before we should just go and, and help people help help the people that need help the most do whatever we can to help people and isn't that how Christ defines us anyway the way that we loved each other yeah okay you want to get get down to the foundational problems of why everything went so far off the rails with Christianity, and I mean all forms of Christianity, I think you can get down to the fact that we don't believe Jesus. We don't believe Jesus. We think we believe in Jesus as we believe in the sun or we believe in trees. But we don't believe Jesus. We don't believe Jesus when he says, you know, people will know you belong to me by the way you love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Right? And many of the apostles echoed this. Right? Love is how we're defined. We're talking about a certain kind of love, an agape love, a love that is one directional that says 
your need is important to me. What you need uh, is more important to me than what I need. We don't believe Jesus. We, 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 we believe, you know, the Bible. We think we believe the Bible. We, specifically the way that we read the Bible. Uh, but we tend to believe Paul and we tend not to believe Jesus. And we believe a specific way that we read Paul, right? We, we read Paul out of a Jesus context. We don't take into account his intimate relationship with Jesus. That nothing he says can ever supersede what Jesus says. That's how we tend to read the Bible. And we make it say what we want. I know I've kind of gotten off the subject and I've got to stop this now. Because I'm just about to work. What time is it actually? Let's get a okay, good. Oh, my watch is on time. Uh, yeah, so we need to believe Jesus and maybe we need to stop using the word missionary. Maybe we don't need a title at all. Maybe we just need to say, hey, I'm here to help. What do you need? I'm going to do everything I can to give you and to find for you what you need. And that's all I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do from my side. If you want something else of me, you can talk to me and I will I will tell you and be honest with you about everything about my life. I'll tell you why I do what I do. Right? But not until you ask me. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to help you be relieved to bring some some rest into your life. I want you to be able to rest from all of your troubles and worries. That's all I want. And if people start calling that something, well, I think they did actually. They started calling that a disciple of Jesus. That's what they started calling that. <laughs> and it's not a title. It's just descriptive. This person uh, is following Jesus. It's not that you can't give advice. It's that you have to have a a position of moral authority to start giving advice. Huh. I'm going to sit on this for a while. There may be a part two next week. I hope there is, especially after I get part three of this other article. That would be pretty nice. Wow, where is everybody? Where the heck is everybody? Staff's not here either. This is weird. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully I'll remember to do a part two of this uh, podcast on missionaries. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.